Radio Mano Papachango. This is what I mean when I say this is a special episode. These are two of my favorite people in the world, and I'm really happy to bring them to you. One of whom you've met before, my Uncle Dan. The other you've never heard from, my Aunt Dot. Uh, Two people who have been incredibly important in my life. Um, just sort of showing me how to be an adult, you know, and I don't mean to take anything away from my parents, obviously, when I say that. But I think that it's really important for kids to have more than one or two role models in life. Um, No matter how great one's parents are, or if you're a parent, no matter how great you are, I think it's really important for kids to have a range of adults in their lives that they can look up to and learn from and, you know, sort of triangulate between because no matter how well-intentioned we are, we can only show what we know and nobody knows everything and nobody has taken every path and considered every option. And um, so I think it's really interesting. I've, I've thought a lot about this and written a lot about this in both Sex at Dawn and Civilized to Death, how our kind of restricted view of, of love, uh, the scarcity-based view of love that is expressed in uh, sort of fearful monogamy, not all monogamy. I'm making that distinction intentionally. Fearful monogamy. Monogamy where you grip someone very tightly because you're afraid that if they leave you, there will be no one else. There will be no other love. There will be no other source of intimacy and companionship and a warm body to lie next to at night, uh, someone to take care of you when you're sick, all these things that have nothing to do with sex that are about friendship and companionship and and uh, shared experience of life. So many of us approach this as, a, as if there's only one person in the world. There's only one way of of satisfying that need. And I think one of the reasons that we do that is that we're raised in nuclear families where as children, maybe even as infants, we feel this incredible sense of all my eggs are in that one basket. If this one adult leaves me, I'll die. If this one protector stops protecting me, I'll be totally lost. That's not how human babies felt uh, for hundreds of thousands of years when we were living in hunter-gatherer groups. And I know, you know, sometimes people say I romanticize it or I I have too um, sort of positive a view of hunter-gatherers. And obviously I can debate that forever. But one thing that's not debatable is that children 
raised in a community of adults who care for them and love them end up being psychologically far healthier than children raised in isolation with only one or two adults. Even the way we educate kids is so weird. You know, we segregate them by age, put all the seven-year-olds in a room together with one 35-year-old who may as well be from Mars as far as the seven-year-olds are concerned. Who do seven-year-olds really look up to? Who do seven-year-olds most naturally want to learn from? Eight-year-olds, right? Not 35-year-olds. They don't, they don't know where a 35-year-old person is coming from. But they have a sense where an eight-year-old's coming from, or even a nine-year-old. They're not that distant. That's, you know, when you're walking down the trail, you look a little ahead of your feet. You don't look at the horizon and trip over every fucking log you step over. So I think it's really important that kids have uh, a range of adults in their lives. And these two people were very important for me. Dorothy Ann's only 11 years older than me, also known as Aunt Dot, don't be confused. Um, you know, so as we talk about in this, in this conversation, to me, she was, you know, I was what, seven and she was 18, right? So yeah, definitely not an eight-year-old, but not an adult either, not totally an adult kind of cool and young and funny and you know she and her friends would sometimes hang out with me and I'd say weird shit and they'd laugh and I can remember some of her women friends coming around when you know late teens early 20s so I was anywhere from 8 to 12 and I mean obviously obviously they're like way out of my range right but uh I can remember seeing some of those women and thinking, oh, yeah, damn, that's where I want to be. Give me a few years, you know. These women are sexy. They're cool. They're they're these, like, relaxed, funny, hippie chicks whose sexuality is is visible, you know. And I don't mean that in a physical sense necessarily. I just mean the way they move and talk and like you can just see they've considered themselves to be they they experience the world as sexual beings and to my little horny 10 year old mind that was a revelation um and I didn't really see that in my mom's friends uh and I think that's you know as we talk about this it's sort of a generational difference my mom was raised in the 50s both my parents were raised in the 50s and Dorothy Ann and Dan both came of age in the 60s so it was a a very different experience for them and consequently for me hanging out with them um anyway hope you enjoy this conversation uh i've got a lot more to say but i'll save it for aroma or something because i i really want this to stand uh, on its own as a document of two people i love very much and also uh a family thing it's it's a it's a strange thing to share something so personal uh with you all um in some ways it feels extremely appropriate um because i do feel like we have a very personal relationship even though we don't know each other in most cases um but in other ways it feels really 
kind of self-indulgent and weird because it's my family. Why the hell should you care? Um, but I think you'll find the conversation interesting because a lot of it we do talk about our family, my grandparents, their parents, um, and, uh, you know, what they thought of me when I was a little kid and what I thought of them and, you know, that whole thing I just sort of outlined. Um, but also a lot of it's about a lot of the conversations just about what have you learned in life? Um, you know, what's, I think they're both, I think my aunt might be in her seventies. I'm not sure exactly how old she is, but I think they're both in their seventies. So they both have a lot of experience. They've been around, they've made mistakes, they've triumphed and, uh, and they've, uh, you know, certainly become who they are. There's, they're, they're full expressions of their nature as human beings and uh, are both very beautiful in very different ways. And that's what I aim to bring to you, people who are full expressions of themselves, because that's what I'm looking for in life and I think we're all looking for. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my Aunt Dot and Uncle Dan. Uh, we talk about music a fair bit. And um, I'm going to play you out now with just the last minute of a seven-minute song by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, because it's one of the first um, pieces of music I can remember hearing at Dorothy Ann's house, Aunt Dot's house, when I was a little kid, and uh, thinking, like, that is good music. There's, there's like, an exoticism to it. There's an exuberance. There's a a grooviness, a kind of a light sexiness. It just felt healthy and beautiful and hopeful. And uh, it's always had that effect on me. So this is just the, the last minute of Sweet Judy Blue Eyes by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, which I first heard at Aunt Dot's house in Quiggleville, Pennsylvania, probably in 1974 or 5, somewhere in there. This will be another totally commercial-free episode. Thank you for supporting the podcast, however you do it. I very much appreciate it and couldn't do it without you. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> California with my Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan's second appearance on the podcast, I believe. Second. And second. And uh, his sister, my aunt, 
Are you Dorothy Ann or Aunt Dot? What are we calling you for this? <laughs> you can call me Aunt Dot. <laughs> Aunt Dot. My Aunt Dot. So you two are siblings. You're you're of five. You're what? Three and four in terms of age. My mom's the oldest. Then Joan. Right. I'm the fourth. I'm five then, years younger than he then is. Then me. Then me. And then Dorothy Ann. Then Dorothy Ann. Then Michael. Right. Right. And how old was your mother when she had my mother? She was like 36 or 39 or something. Well, she was 42 when I was born. Oh. 40, so she was born in 1905. So when your mother was born, she would have been 34. Four. First kid at 34. First right. of five. First of five. Yeah, that's crazy. And last of five at 44. And that was unusual in her day, right? Like it's more common now for a woman to have her first kid in her 30s. Yeah. What but was even more unusual is that our dad was 14, 12 years older. That's scandalous. Because he was born in 1893, so he was 54 when I was born. Right. Wow. It was scandalous. 54 when and you were born. And 56 when uh, Michael was born. That's yeah. like Mick Jagger shit right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always thought there were a lot of similarities between yeah, my because, dad and Mick Jagger. Yeah. Did they tell you? I didn't, uh, did you always think that too? Yeah, <laughs> grandpa, man. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, yeah. So you, you guys grew up in uh, Greensburg, right? In, right. In that, oh, yeah. that house, right? Yes. So, yeah. So it's interesting because, I, I mean, if I had to look back at my childhood and um, sort of say, aside from my parents, who were the two most parental role models kind of growing up, it would be you two. Well, I'm your godmother. Yeah. <laughs> You're responsible for my religious training. Yes. And I took care of your canoe training. How, how to handle a canoe without getting a hole in your head. No, but seriously. I mean, were you guys aware of that? You must have been aware of it on some level that I was kind of looking at you, Dan, like how to be a man and looking at you, Dorothy, and not how to be a woman for me. But, you know, like your, I think you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. Like my parents were into Frank Sinatra and Perry yeah. Como and all that. And it's good yeah. shit, but it, it wasn't happening, you know, for me when I was eight and we'd go visit you, which would be 1970. Yeah. And you had, you know, Neil Young and <laughs> Carol King and the Beatles and just in my eight year old. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and you had the cool dog and you had yeah. the cool house in Quiggle, Quiggleville or whatever the fuck that was. Quiggle. Almost hippies. We're almost hippies. Oh, I thought you were hippies. And there was no, some weed I in the van. Had, I always had a dishwasher. So <laughs> oh, is that the distinguishing character? took away my there? hippie qualifications. <laughs> really? You're not a hippie. I always had to have my appliances. Yeah, but did you shave your legs, though? That's the key. Well, there was a huge shift from the time your mother was born. And when I was born, that that eight years of growing up, I grew up in the '60s, and right. they grew up in the '50s. Right. And there was yeah. a huge change then. Yeah. Of being so, my mom totally was born thirty uncool to being totally cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and my, I was born. So I was born in '62. So my yeah. mom, by the time the hippies were happening, my yeah. mom was married, had oh, yeah. a kid. Yeah. You know, the and whole she thing. Never, she was yeah. not the stuff of hippies. <laughs> she was never going to be a hippie. <laughs> to to begin was, with. Yeah. She was not the stuff. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> there was no hippie, hippie in the future. No hippie in her. The one thing about smoking dope is she would always say, "Oh my God, they pass it around." Oh, I know. <laughs> Same. Well, I, she would never. She would want her own joint. She said that, and <laughs> she said that to to my sister and I one night, and and I went and rolled her a joint. <laughs> and I gave it to her, and the way I gave it to her though was, uh, she was sitting at the table and I said, you want some more iced tea, mom? She said, oh, yeah. So I got her some iced tea and when I put the tea down, I put the joint next to the <laughs> glass of tea and I left. Because I was still weirded out, like giving my mom a joint, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just seemed weird. Anyway, I was telling my sister and and so my sister went in and said, mom, did you get that gift from Chris? And she said, oh, no, what do you mean? And she said, well, didn't Chris put something next to your your iced tea and she said oh it was a toothpick i threw it away uh, <laughs> and then my sister went and pulled it out of the garbage said mom oh, it's not a toothpick. toothpick and then my mom said that was a pretty stingy joint <laughs> it was pretty stingy and then my mom said oh is it a poem and started <laughs> unwrapping <laughs> We'll see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my... but here's the well, kicker. Even, here's even the more, kicker. Even more so. <laughs> you think you can tell the story about you giving your mother a joint. Yeah. But think of me giving my mother a joint. How different <laughs> that would have been. Well, but wasn't your mother who who by the way died when I was 8. So I have yeah. very vague memories of her. But wasn't she I know she was a very serious Catholic believer. But she also got the New Yorker, yeah, right? Yeah. And she and was, she was an intellectual. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like my dad would always tell stories about how she was so open-minded yeah. and yeah. very willing to debate religion or politics or sexuality or anything. She had her beliefs, but she was open to discussion. Yeah, not, I mean, I have actually gone back when I got that New Yorker thing of all the... And I, I read New Yorker articles to think, my mother was reading this when I was in high school. Right. So she was reading this, but I did not see her as someone who, who read that kind of just open stuff because to me, you know, it was she was very religious and yeah. you know, that you 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 know, did the did all the right things. I yeah. She was right. reading that before you were born. Well, I know, but I mean, I was thinking while we we were fighting when I was in high school. Yeah, right. You know, I went, this, these are the exact issues that came to the house Her every week. Her perspective was far broader than yeah. you understood. Yeah. 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 I've always had a hard time understanding how someone could be a Catholic intellectual. It, Me too, yeah. Yeah, we all have, we share that, I think, that uh, we don't know how, we don't know how people that smart fell into the Catholic trap. Or but, the but isn't it like everything else? I mean, there are very, very smart people who think America is the best country that's ever been or that pick a politician is the right. greatest. I mean, there's there's something about belief that supersedes well, intellect. Well, that's what they would say. You would, you would ask these questions. Well, okay, this they told us when we were little kids, you know, God created us. We all have guardian angels and all this crap. And then you get to the, and you'd say, well, then where did all that start? Well, that's where faith comes in. Right. When you, right. Get, to, when you get just to the end of any kind of logical answer, yeah. well, that's where faith kicks in. <laughs> there it is. Because that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just got to believe. You just got to believe it. Yeah, I mean, or relationships, right? There are people who, who, you know, have very worldly lives. They've been all over the place, but they feel like, oh, no, 
she's the one and only. Like, yeah. dude, there are seven billion people on the planet. You really <laughs> think she's the only one? Do the math, man. Let her think it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Convince her. So, okay, so your parent and your dad was, was your dad a true believer or did he sort of go along for her? Because he was a scientist, right? He was a chemistry uh, he teacher. He was a believer. He was pretty much a believer, yeah. I think. I mean, I he was born so. in 1893. We were talking about this yesterday. We were in the car and I thought, can you imagine what our parents would have thought? Our own parents. Like, oh, the yeah. phone's ringing in the car. Pick it up. And right. and all, you know, all this stuff cars have when our father had a Model T that he, he can't crank. Yeah. And so much has happened in that couple of generations. If he wasn't a believer, though, you wouldn't have known it. He wouldn't have shared that with, uh, with anybody. Yeah, he would never have said anything. Maybe Art Quinn. <laughs> his, his pal, his, yeah. His pal from Notre Dame. Yeah. But that was about it. But they, they that, were super accepting. I mean, when I came home, I've been married and pregnant. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you know, don't darken our door. It was like, okay, well, that's the deal we have now. Let's let's meet this husband. Let's welcome this baby. It was like, hmm. you know. Yeah. Thinking. And my two older sisters who had always towed the line, like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> she gets away with everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, so okay, so they're they're both believers. Your mother taught at a Catholic yeah, grade, grade school, school yeah, right? Yeah. Your dad did Catholic, teach college. Catholic, Catholic college, college, right? Yeah. Uh, Seton Hill. Seton Hill, right? Yeah. And they have five kids. Four of them are non-believers, and one He's a total Jesus freak. Now he is, but yeah. was he when he went to Vietnam as a kid? No. I mean, I always so. saw that as a reaction yeah. to yeah. horrible experiences that yeah. he had in Vietnam. No, he wasn't a. No. Well, you would well, not have been. I don't think they even had born again Jesus freaks right. before that. <laughs> <I was laughs> sort of, born once. Was, and that's yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. No, he was. I don't. I don't remember as being super religious as a and kid. And he's either. like 10 years younger than you? Two, two and a half. Oh, two. Oh, I thought there was a bigger no. gap between you no, and him. No, two and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. So w did that pain them that all their kids didn't they never follow know them? It. They didn't know the, the extent of our disbelief. Really? Yeah. Did I you mean, guys we, go to church and stuff? Well, we we did and we didn't. I mean, we we played the... The game. We played the. Oh, I'll extent. drop you yeah. off at Mass, Mom, and I'll go. Around, park I'll the car. park around the corner. <laughs> and never come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go have a few beers yeah. and pick you up later. And then you exactly. drive up at the end of Mass and pick them up. We did not confront them. I never said to my mother or my father, "I don't believe in this at all." I right. ne never said that. I wouldn't because it would hurt them. Well, yeah. they were they were just gracious, and nice people. You know? Yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah. They were good good parents and nice people. And yeah, you just, wouldn't have wanted to just you know put a red flag in front of them like that. And no. they gave you enough space <clears throat> that they also were probably avoiding confrontation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We, there was no. It, it, Conflict avoidance was very big in our house. <laughs> yeah, to an unhealthy extent. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't think so. No, I got no. paddled when I was uh, when I did something that required a paddling or a punishment. But the worst thing would be is if my father said to you, Dorothy, Ann, could you step into my study for a moment? There's a little. There's a situation I'd like to discuss with you. 
And you think, oh, I am in such trouble. And that's <laughs> never, like a, a report card thing or something? Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I noticed there were a lot of miles on the car that I did not drive or <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like, um, did I got you this go, traffic ticket from New York City. Yeah, this <laughs> came in the mail. Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Just anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and you think, oh, my God, I'm a... But he never would raise his voice. And, yeah. Well, no, we'll have to take care of this. And, <clears throat> but there was never any yelling or screaming or... Well, probably so your in mother's it. the only one who did that in the whole house. My mother, <laughs> really? Joan yeah. seems like she would yeah. have been a bit of a screamer. No, no, she no. Know. She was a moaner. <laughs> <laughs> Woes me. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> she and my mother shared a room, right? Yeah, right. and they were always clean fighting. side, dirty side. There was oh. a you know, messy side. The odd uh, couple. Yeah, they oh. were they were definitely they were very close in age and completely different in personalities and everything. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. So my mom was a prima donna. Your mom was the prima donna yeah. family. Yeah, and just hated the rest of us. Just <laughs> <laughs> cramping her style. Hated all of us. Could not wait to get out of the house. Of miserable four siblings who just made fun of her all the time, which was true. Yeah. And, <laughs> Because it was so easy. <laughs> Big target. <laughs> she made it so easy. She would just flip like that. Yeah. So anyway. The thing yeah. that had the most she has her points. <laughs> impact on on growing up was my mother reached her limit of control with me. Uh, I went into the kitchen and said, to, she asked me to, to take groceries out of the car. How old were you? Nine, ten, eleven, somewhere oh. in that. Yeah. I said to her, "You, you bought them all. Get them yourself." Ooh, <laughs> ooh. She turned around, and you know what mother's arm is? It can, you know, stop an entire crowd of people from coming through the front seat. She reached around and knocked me on my ass. And when I'm on the floor, she's kicking me toward the door and says, get everything out of that car. And I, honest to God, I was bringing in a spare tire when she stopped me. But I, I never, ever, ever again in my life to this day will not say anything disrespectful to a woman with groceries. Yeah. <laughs> I made him carry up all the stuff from Costco the other day. Yeah. yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but that just, uh, I mean, she was 100% right, and I knew that the minute I said it. Mm. And uh, You're just testing the limit. I, found it. I just was being an asshole. Yeah. And uh, I was cured instantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I mean, I don't have kids, but... but I like so many things. I feel like I would be out of step with the culture, because you see all these people saying, "Oh, you know, what do you want to have for dinner tonight?" I don't. I want hamburgers. Oh, okay, we'll have hamburgers again. Like, fuck you, kid. I'm cooking. I bought the food. You'll eat what I cook. You know. <laughs> I mean, of course, it's collaborative. Yeah, you know, but like, yeah. we're not gonna have hamburgers every goddamn night because some yeah. eight-year-old wants that. They won't starve. Children won't starve. Well, they, that's the other they thing. They'll like, finally eat. Oh, he won't eat. Like he's an animal. He'll right. eat. He'll eat. He'll eat. Right. He'll eat. And They'll you'll eat. sit there until you do. Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been through that. <laughs> As I said, eat every kernel of corn and pee on your plate. <laughs> oh, well, can I pee on my plate after? <laughs> can I pee on someone else's plate? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
So you guys are growing up in Greensburg. Uh, this is Western Pennsylvania for people who don't have their atlas out at the moment. And and uh, that was like, I guess when you were kids, that was pretty rural. Didn't you have a, was there a horse? Yeah, oh. we had horses. Yeah. Our property went down a hill in the, the Westmoreland County Hunt Club was at the bottom of the uh -huh. hill where we, my mother kept her horse. Right. And there were all, everybody kept horses down there and there were riding lessons and they actually rode to the hounds. To the hounds? <laughs> to the hounds. Yes. Wow. Yes. Fancy. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I remember that house because uh, then Dorothy and you and and Bill yeah. moved in there yeah. right after yeah. your parents died, and they died very close together, like six months or. <coughs> well, our Nine dad months. died there. Dorothy yeah. Ann had cared for him. Uh, my mother died in February, and then he was terminally ill when my mother died, and he was in a hospital, <clears throat> and they were. This was before all this stuff about dying came out, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, all that stuff. So, you know, people, and it was just weird. But they wouldn't give him meds. He had they, bone cancer. He had bone cancer, and he would be in pain, and they'd say, oh, well, the cart's coming around. It hasn't been four hours. And and I was, <laughs> I was 22, and I said, well, I'm just going to take him home. Oh, you can't do that. Uh, he really needs care, and he needs to get shots. And I said, oh, I know how to give shots, which I didn't. And <laughs> But I took him home, learned how to give shots. Went to the pharmacy where they gave me liter bottles of morphine. Liters? <laughs> liter really? Yeah. yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> oh, man. And then he lived until October. And your mother died so, in April, you said? February. February. Yeah. So he had a yeah. nice summer there. and and uh, <clears throat> he was home. David was little. David was two. Your your son, yeah. Does she, did he, uh, let me, how do I say this? I, I remember some story, and, and I don't know if this is accurate, but there was some story about that she didn't know he had cancer, and he didn't know that she was dying. Her brother knew. That was probably... Closer to the truth, he didn't know the extent of her illness. Uh, like her brother was a doctor, doctor right, right, in yeah, Brooklyn, he, yeah, and they he, both saw him. And he kind of knew, but I th the story I heard, I think, was that he, when he saw that she was going to die from kidney cancer, I think, right? Yeah. Like she, and there was no dialysis no, machine no, or anything. No, 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 no transplant. So he no. talked, the doctor, her brother, talked to your father and said, should I tell her or would she be better off not knowing? And he said, don't tell her, she'd be better off not knowing. But then he also did a, did some tests on Dan, your father, and saw that he had something. And he <coughs> talked to her and said, should I tell him? Oh, I never heard this story. And she said, no, <laughs> no. it's better if he doesn't know. So. Both of them knew the other was dying, but they didn't know they themselves were no, dying? No, my mother knew she was dying. Oh, she, okay. And she could talk openly about it, and she did to all of us. She did to me. She, and she wrote out a, a handwritten will, like every little thing in the house. Yeah, like where who it should, should go. Get there was some, the, the thing I remember about the story is my mother, I wish she were here to, to chime in on this, but she said that you guys were all really pissed off at the brother, the doctor, because if you had known how serious it was, you would have visited more often, you would have brought the kids, you would have... So there was some delay in 
Maybe that, the that three of them be, knew, but you guys didn't in, for a while. Well, no, I yes. was in college, and no, they, they didn't. I didn't know how sick yeah. she was. Yeah. I mean, until the very end. I think it was kept from us until <clears throat> the very end. Well, oh, when so she had a kidney out, I was in college, and it was like, oh, your mother had a kidney out, no big deal. And I thought, well, what? What? <laughs> like, what? She's got another. And then she went back to teaching. She was teaching, and then they moved to New Jersey, and she was teaching in public schools in New Jersey, and she took it. So, I mean, I had no reason to believe she was sick or anything right. because she took this teaching job. And, and then then it, it went it was in the other kidney. Right. And the, But she was like three years after that. Oh. Uh, huh. But she knew and uh, was able to confront it <clears throat> and tell every one of us, you know, what she had hoped for when she was gone and the one main thing was take care of your father take care of your father and that was what was uh, really on her mind and uh, I think to that extent we did and then Dorothy Ann jumped right into it and just took him home and uh, we visited uh, him right up to the day he died at, at his own house yeah that's <clears throat> It's strange, you know, He, you said he was, what, 13 years older than her? 12. 12 yeah. years older than her. So throughout their marriage, they're probably talking about and emotionally preparing for he's going to die first. Also, he's the man. Yeah. Men tend to die first. She's going to be 15, 20 years old. I bet they never alone. talked about it once. Really? <laughs> I bet they do. you think they ever did? <laughs> I think my mother said once that when she was going to marry this guy... She was 28 and he was 42. Oh, so that's 14 years. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because he was born in 93. Anyway, so maybe 14. Anyway, whatever. That someone, her mother or someone had said to her, oh, you're marrying a guy who's going to be, you know, a lot older. And But I don't think it was, I don't think they ever, would you, can you imagine the two of them talking about it? <laughs> I can't imagine. No, I really can't imagine. <laughs> no, I can't imagine them talking about it but uh, you know you just but why not if your mother was so like open and she talked about her own death and confronted it like why wouldn't they do it together just doesn't seem like a conversation they would have so somehow but there are a lot of things I can't imagine yeah. Yeah. like sex I, yes, I wouldn't imagine <laughs> so. Damn fun kids. so who knows yeah so so maybe just because we can't imagine it doesn't yeah. mean it didn't happen right clearly which brings me to my next question <laughs> okay there are very few things I remember about that house as I said I was eight when she died and I remember there was a spring next to the driveway, and, and that just blew my mind. That water just came up out of the ground. Greensburg? Greensburg? Yeah. Now, maybe it was a broken pipe or something, <laughs> but I remember. <laughs> Did it smell bad? <laughs> <laughs> I was drinking from it. But, you know, this was my Indian day, so it was like, oh, water coming from the earth, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was next to the driveway, and I just remember it was, like, soggy and, and water coming up. I remember I got in, I think, was it your car? And I took it out of gear and it went down the driveway and yeah. smashed into trees. Yeah, and yeah. I, okay. You remember that? And I jumped in the back seat and pretended I had nothing to do with it. 
Who's that guy in the front seat? There's water from the poison spring. <laughs> I'm drunk. I'm not sure. There was no that spring was. there. No, I can't I imagine. There's no spring. And no, we don't remember a spring. No, I remember spring. He must had the mushrooms first. In Greensburg or oh, Greensburg. Yeah, yeah. The anyway, and the spring. other thing I remember yeah. is Julia. Yeah. Oh, now, yeah. who yeah. the hell was? Were they having a three-way with Julia? <laughs> Was this like some kind of kinky thing going on? She was my mother's cousin. Yeah. And when her husband died, she came to live with us. And it was about the time that my mother went back to teaching because there was a huge mm. teacher shortage. And, they, and she was a fully credentialed teacher. So she went to teach for the Catholic schools, which was stupid because she could have made like 10 times as much in the public schools. But... Anyway, so then Julia came to uh, live I with guess us. Guess as a nanny, I guess that's what her. You <clears throat> but she was her position as being. But she just helped out. She didn't, you know. She she was not seen as some servant or anything. She was, and I shared a room with her. So oh. I mean, I was like six until till your mother got married when I was thirteen. I shared a room with Julia, who was, you know, to me was like this ancient person. Yeah, and <laughs> it was my roommate. And <laughs> When your mother got married, as as I said, I was yeah left the reception to go move into her room, make sure she couldn't come back. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you're out. You're out. You made your move. I'm moving upstairs. But then she abruptly moved out when my mother died. Even though that was the time we could have used her the most to care for my father, she abruptly, I mean, within days, just yeah, she uh, had, packed everything Yeah, and moved she had out. four sons, and she went, and everybody else was furious with her and never spoke to her again, but I went and saw her all the time. You probably never knew that. <laughs> Julie didn't know that. Time, didn't I did. Yeah. Oh, I mean, funny. I thought, you what know was, what? What was, was she just traumatized? Yeah, or? I mean, she, this was her best friend. I mean, she had... You know, they she lived in our house for yeah. twenty more years, and I mean, they did everything together. They were, you know, anyway. And then we, we stole ten died. acres of her property when she died. And I don't think she. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, everybody. So she left just when she could have helped take care of Dan. But I just think she just went to her son's house. She just was, you know, completely grief stricken. Yeah, and, but even grief stricken, she yeah. did. The, <clears throat> Desert the family that had cared for her uh, yeah, when but, we needed her the most. Yeah, you know? but you know, I, I never blamed her for that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Everybody else did. That's I mean, honestly, God, I had to sneak to see her. You took I, your share of her property, though. When we I would it. go. I would go visit Aunt May, and then I would go see Julia in New Jersey. And I'd say, well, I'm just driving back to Erie or whatever, and I would make okay. another trip into New Jersey. <laughs> well, it's good of you to... <laughs> Stay friends with her. Yeah, I, I never blamed her. I thought that was, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, when people are suffering, it's hard to blame them. We do all what the time. They do. Yeah. yeah, but you know, as you say, she was going through her own process. Yeah, but she had a piece of property, and when she died, her sons just expected the property to roll over to them. But in order to avoid the issue of transference of title and everything they were going to let it go on a tax sale and then just pick it up on a tax sale but i found out about it somehow i'm not sure and i went to new jersey the day of the tax sale and i redeemed the property 
And when I redeemed it, it became my property, and I shared it with uh, my family. Well, it had never the title had never been clear, and she was she, when my in 1918 when there was the flu epidemic in New York, and our grandmother went out to New Jersey and bought this 400-acre farm, as one does to get out of sure. away from the flu. Yeah, and so then parts of it were doled off, and parts this one part of it was always Julia's lot. But it, I guess had never been clearly transferred or whatever. Right. So when she died, her sons had to go through all this. Well, did you know them? The sons? I didn't know. No, we didn't no, know. Them. No. no. We knew of them and we had met them, you know, at events and stuff. You didn't feel bad screwing them out of their mother's property? No, not at all. Uh, I didn't anyway. I felt it. Well, she was their stepmother. She married. Uh, their, their mother had died and she married this guy with these four sons and then he died and then she came to live with us the property all came from my grandmother our grandmother <laughs> yeah so it was really our family that had given her that plot for whatever reason and no mm -hmm. i didn't feel i felt justified doing it and was glad we i think we sold it for what Ten thousand dollars and just divvied up the money on it. Yeah. But, uh, was that the property where the farm was? No, it was off in a field. But it uh, was. It was part of the farm. Part of that same yeah. yeah. acres. Yeah. The, the yeah. farm was purchased. It was part of it. Right. Now there's a McDonald's on it. Of course. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, you guys used to, there, there are all these family stories about the farm, and that's another place that I very vaguely remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. As a kid, I remember going out, there was a spring house, and there were yeah, all these there frogs. Was, no, there was a spring there. Yeah. That's, that's where you were getting your drinks. Yeah. Oh, and that yeah. was the only refrigeration we had for right, a while. Right, it was pretty and, primitive. And yeah, you had to put anything, you had to put it, it, the spring came up and then it ran through a, like a little trough through the spring house, which was all stone. Right. And you could put your stuff in that cold water and it would keep it cold. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's hard to imagine my mom, <laughs> you know, yeah, like... Yeah. Building a fire and you know the sweeping the yeah. the mouse turds out of the yeah. living room. <laughs> she did. She, was, she did for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I remember. No, I don't fishing. think she did. I think she sat in the car pouting while everybody else did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, mom. <laughs> she would she would walk in when it was clean enough for her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's one thing about about the family, uh, like we express affection by making fun of each other. <laughs> so, mom, if you're listening to this, we love you. We love you. We all. love you. We love you, Julie. This is our book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I interviewed my mom and my sister separately on this podcast, I asked them both if they ever thought that I was gay growing up, and they both said yes. Did you guys ever think I was gay? <laughs> Dan's looking at me like, uh, when well, hole, with that hat you were wearing. When you had that hat with a hole, I figured you, were, you hadn't even come up to gay yet. <laughs> uh, so, so this I don't is, think I ever thought that. I never did. Yeah. It wasn't a topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't yeah. think anybody particularly no, would have cared either. So. No, well, that's that's what both of them said. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I thought you were. Well, in college, I was very close friends with my professor who was yeah. gay, and they came and visited, yeah. and it was like, oh, you're living with your gay professor, uh, and you have a mustache, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're a weird kid, but you weren't a gay weird kid, you know? <laughs> right. There are lots of ways to be weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who else lived in a tent behind the... Activities building for the for four years of college and saved all the money and traveled with it. Yeah, know? yeah. None of us did that. That was, that was that. my stab at entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. So that establishes yeah, Chris is weird. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, was was I weird as a ten year old? No, no. no. You were, I was just no, a regular. I mean, I mean came, all ten-year-olds are weird. You know. When you came and visited, you know, you bonded well with. You were super smart. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, Chris is so smart. He's so smart. He's just, he's yeah. just a towering intellect. Uh, uh, at ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll write a book about sex he'll one day. Write, he'll be a yeah. famous author someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt weird. So it's it's strange. It's interesting speaking to people who like witnessed your childhood as semi-adults. I mean, you're only eleven years older than me, right? Fourteen. Oh, is it 14? Yeah, we're, we're getting yeah. all these numbers. All this time I thought it was 11. Okay, so you're 14 years older than me, so I'm 10, you're 24. I, mean, I guess you're an adult at 24, but not... I mean, I meet 24-year-olds now, and they seem like middle well, schoolers. Well, I was married and had David. Right, yeah. yeah. So you were an adult. Make you look more adult. <laughs> and feel more adult, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, you do, because, I mean, you just have more responsibilities and you know yeah if you have a child to take care of yeah man you're doing it and and a parent who's ailing or has died i mean i think those are you know adulthood comes from experience not numbers yeah you know i didn't have a parent who died until three years ago yeah and i've never had a kid so in a way i feel like my kind of childhood extended well into my 50s till now it's never too late to have a good childhood. Yeah, I'm I'm stretching that baby out. I'm going to stretch it till it snaps. You know, no, but seriously, I mean, I don't. know, You guys, I'm sure you both remember Peggy, right? Who's 11 oh, years younger. Oh, I remember Peggy. <laughs> I knew you. She was a sweetheart. She was. Yeah. Okay. You know, but she's so 11 years younger than me. But her dad died when yeah. you know 20 years ago, and so in a way. She kind of got older than me suddenly in in a strange aspect. Beautiful way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Dan. Dan met Peggy. Terry, old Uncle Dan. (laughs) My sister's wedding, right? Is that where you met her? Her sister's wedding, and and she was uh, just a, a stunningly exciting girl. Yeah, yeah. She still is. And I danced with her, and. it was a great memory, and I am glad that I met her. Yeah. Yeah, she's glad she met you, too. She talks about you a lot. Always says, send Uncle Dan my love, knowing it'll get your old ticker going a little yeah. faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky in, in ex-girlfriends, I guess. She's, she's still one of my best friends. She's awesome. 
and you know and also like you're talking about aging right she married this fantastic guy who got ms and yeah. she had to watch her husband die you know it's like yeah geez, that's with rough. two little kids yeah 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 it's a bizarre life is strange so uh oh when i i was talking earlier about this whole sort of like um are you aware of or were you aware in my case that i was sort of how to say this i mean little kids are like they're looking for material right they're looking for like uh things they like like did you know when i came to your house that i was like wow i love this music like this is the way i want to live did you sense that or or is it just like oh you know whatever my nephew's hanging around uh i remember no, going I with bill that, out I, yeah, in, like, in the that. woods and he was teaching yeah. me like what what plants were edible and stuff yeah. i fucking love that well all the kids used to love to come to our house yeah so yeah, I mean, I, I knew so it was just I liked kid friendly. I think because it, it was more relaxed than maybe their own houses. Yeah. And that's, you know, as summer is like all, everybody came to our house and yeah. stayed there for weeks at a time. What was that like when you, you, so you are responsible for, you know, me loving Topanga and living here and sort of having some sort of connection to Topanga. You came here when in 76? 78. 78. Yeah. So before that, you were living in central Pennsylvania, this farmhouse in Quiggleville and Balls Mills and <laughs> weird places in, in central Pennsylvania. Super rural, cornfields, deer, just kind of a cool, hippie, canning your own veggies kind of existence. <laughs> and you left there and came to Los Angeles. What what was the decision there? Was it just like we don't want to raise our kids? No, Bill so far wanted away? my Bill, your uncle Bill, yeah. wanted to go into a construction business with this guy because he'd come out here and you could build all year round here in Pennsylvania. Uh, right. Winters were kind of you know, anyway. So he this other guy convinced him to. Oh, come out here! You know we can build this building empire. And and was Bill a carpenter, or what was her, his building thing? Yeah, yeah. I remember. He, well, he had a degree from Penn State in um, like forestry or something. Playground administration uh, or something. What do they call it? Urban development or something like that. Yeah. And he worked for the state of Pennsylvania as you know planner. And then he went to. He worked for this guy who built playgrounds all right. over the state from he, like uh, found materials, yeah. railroad so ties, then he and learned old tires all that building stuff. Yeah, and really liked that because he was outside. Because he was right. an inside kind of guy. Right. Anyway, so then he wanted to move out here, and I said, "Well, we can't afford to live there. I mean, it's so expensive. Everybody gets a divorce. They move to California. We can't afford it. It's crazy." But he really wanted to, and I thought, well, what the hell? So, hmm. so we got a divorce. We couldn't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out for you, though. <laughs> he moved back east. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we looked around L.A., and it was just completely depressing because what we could afford was just depressing. Yeah. They were they were building big, huge tracks out in the valley. And they were just, all the houses were just cookie cutter, just awful. They bulldozed down the hillsides and oh, just disgusting. And then there was Venice that was up and coming, but 
was not up and <laughs> you know I didn't want to live there with two kids and yeah it was a lot of gang stuff anyway and somebody said oh you should look at Topanga yeah Topanga sounds like the place for you hmm. so you're right yeah yeah because Topanga feels like you're it's kind of a rural vibe especially yeah. then yeah it and been. you have everything. It's not like you're stuck way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. As I tell people, you can be in Neiman Marcus in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> not that I go there, but <laughs> it's like a, a complete dichotomy to... of like, here you are in the middle of <laughs> yeah. nowhere. And then, boom, I can just be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you don't have to commute and you can pick what time of day you go. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I love it here. And, and Dan, you were... I remember you were in upstate New York working in some giant mine. Yeah. Uh, and then you were like a ski model or something? A what model? Ski. Were you like a model oh, at some that point was, in your that life? That was something. Just early on through contact, someone wanted me to model ski clothes. So I did that. I was in 17 magazines or something like that but that was just a one shot oh okay it wasn't like a no it was never really a part of my life right but uh, I ended up I was working in the mine in the uh, labor relations side of the business and from there I ended up in uh, working out of New York City from there I ended up taking a job starting Dutch Boy Pencil uh Dutch Boy Corporation in Chicago, then back to New York, and uh, then I reached a point where I really didn't want to do corporate anymore. I resigned and then moved to Annapolis, Maryland to get into the construction business. Right, and you were like flipping flipping houses? Uh, flipping up. houses and doing a real expensive a uh, line of cabinetry called Pogan Pole. Oh, the kitchen thing, right. Imported from Germany. Right. And uh, that got me to Annapolis, and we stayed there. Laura went through uh, high school and college there. And then uh, after that, I moved to Naples, Florida. And uh, I've been there 22 years. Crazy. Longest place I've lived anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So a lot of people who are listening to this are young. They're they're just sort of starting out in work and relationships, getting out of college. What what do you say to people? I mean, it, it's a weird world where young people don't ask older people for advice directly. But I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, I'm older than a lot of the audience. They're looking for that kind of input. Is there anything that you, if some young person comes to you with uh, looking for general advice on? Now you're both divorced. I'm. We're all divorced. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> so no advice on the marriage front. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but you learn a lot about fighting from getting beat up, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My advice would be to learn to do shit. Learn learn how to live with your surroundings. How to be in control of the things that you have to deal with every day. Um, you mean material things? Material things, yeah. Right. Like fix your car yeah, fix and your fix your bathroom. Toaster, fix your know how to change batteries, how to yeah. uh, know what's wrong with your car, if not be able to fix it. But uh, just trades, learn how to be a plumber, how to be an electrician, uh, something that you can do 
for your own, or if you have to, you can earn a very good living uh, being a tradesman. Yeah. Um, and you can save a shit ton of money. Yeah. And it's also more interesting to know how things work. At least have a general sense. I'm no Mr. Fix-It, but I have a general sense of how plumbing works and wiring and... Shit flows downhill. Like, for example. Yeah. <laughs> but turds float. We've established that. <laughs> I would say don't take no for an answer. Oh, really? <laughs> Just the instance this morning that our my, our neighbor wanted to buy this house and she, oh, right. and she was turned down for a loan. I said, well, that doesn't mean everyone's going to turn you down. You have to go. And then... Then now she's trying to refinance, and one guy said, "You can't do that within six months." And I said, "Whose whose rule is that?" So we go online, and now she has like three people trying to vying for her business when mm. she was ready to give up. I said, "Don't give up. If, you know, you get no three yeah. times, go to four, go to five, go to six until you get what you want." Right. <laughs> right. You've been working in in construction as well. Yeah. Like both of you have done really well in areas. Well, maybe with Dan, I was going to say in areas that you wouldn't have expected, right? But, I mean, in your case, I guess you ha it is what you would have expected because it's sort of what you were preparing for in, in some ways, like the construction. And yeah, my degree was uh, a teacher degree. So, you know, my, my thought was I'd be a teacher, but I was only a teacher for one year. And so. you were teaching shop and... Shop and, and physics. Right. Oh, yeah. physics too. So, yeah. right. kind of both ends of the scale of know how things get done and then go and do them. Right, <laughs> right. And Dorothean, you've been working in this sort of high-end construction company doing like Hollywood renovations and for famous people. Well, I don't people. hammer the nails myself. No, but, I just but do you money. basically run the business. <laughs> I do the money. <laughs> right. I do the money part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you didn't like study accounting or I took, finance. Well, I, I well I took one course in accounting and I was a history major. Yeah. And that accounting course, that's what I would say. Take an accounting course. <laughs> yeah. Well, seriously, yeah. Well, like understanding money and just investment. Understanding. Like, yeah. Understanding and understanding how it works, not just now because you could just put everything into the software, but you're not really understanding how it works. Right. But back then we didn't have computers, so we had to understand the concepts of how it works. Now you just boom, you put it in. So right. I don't know, but taking a course in accounting, I think would be key. And a course in geology. So when you drive around, you know what you're looking at. You know what you're looking yeah, at. I mean, I, I took geology too at Penn State. And these were just like, you know, not my core, the, uh, uh, major, but of all the things I use, it's the accounting and the geology. <laughs> yeah. And what about interpersonal stuff? Like, what have you learned from your marriages and raising kids and, you know, just the years? Is there anything that stands out? Well, I was never a big disciplinarian. I would, my, my theory was unless there's a reason to say no, you would say yes. Mm -hmm. Which was kind of the way our mother was. Yeah. <laughs> she was, I mean, as much as she was very religious, she was very relaxed about stuff and would always try to make things happen for you. If mm -hmm. you wanted to do something, you know, she would make it happen. Yeah. So, um, you know, let the kids do what they want to do. I mean, if they're interested in you know, the... You know, whatever sports may not be what you're interested in, and 
like you know, my grandson Henry wanted to play football, and he said, "Well, if that's what he wants to do, <laughs> play football," and then he gave it up on his own. But if mm. you'd said, "No, you can't play football," then, you know, so I'd say just let them let let kids do what they want to do, yeah, within reason, of course. <laughs> I was thinking this morning about how I, I got some emails that were really intense this week from people are going through um, the end of a marriage and and there was a I was thinking about how you know when people either start out with some sort of essential incompatibility or it just develops over time right because their lives change or whatever but they don't want to or they're not able to just talk about the incompatibility they get so unhappy and unhappy people are um, aggressive, right? When we're unhappy, we're mean. And so they end up being mean to each other. And then they think they're getting divorced because you said this mean thing to me or I said that mean thing and we're fighting all the time. But that's not really why the relationship's falling apart. The relationship's falling apart because of the precursor to that, which is this basic incompatibility, right? which is nobody's fault. And it's, I was just thinking how, what a tragedy it is that so often where, I don't know how to say it. I guess it's like a disease thing where it's like, you know, you're eating the wrong food and that creates these symptoms. And then we react to the symptoms, not to the bad diet, you know, or the whatever. And I feel like that happens so often in relationships. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I was just thinking about, how we misunderstand or we don't have the tolerance for if you're in a relationship you need to have tolerance for the other person in the relationship what they do what their beliefs are what they think and don't ever have a baby thinking oh this is going to bring us closer together because that is or a dog a dog would be preferable to a baby (laughs) (laughs) so then you'll have a baby and just as it's worse it turbocharges and then you get divorced and then you are you're a you know chained to that person chained forever, forever because yeah. you're sharing this child and all the fighting that goes along with that yeah so so don't have it don't have a child with somebody you're not absolutely sure of. so how do you guys feel <laughs> oh phone again that's not mine. oh it's my phone uh, all right we're back that was my phone uh Okay, last last uh, area I wanted to ask you guys about, like, what do you think? You know, we we started talking about how you were raised by true believers in a very Catholic structured kind of mental space, spiritual space, but they were good people. Which, by the way, that's what I always say about my parents. Like, they're nice people. They were like my dad and my mom. They're just yeah. nice people. They yeah. always had friends. They were always welcoming and generous. And I always remember, you know, other adults coming around and and just it, it made me really happy as a kid to see that people liked them. You know, um, that, I think that's a comforting thing for a kid. But what do you guys feel? Uh, you know, what are your feelings? You don't have the, the sort of safety of a Catholic thing where like, oh, when I die, I'll go to heaven or hell in Dan's case. 
<laughs> I mean, Florida is practically That's why hell. Yeah. That he's, he's in hell. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in, in hell. hell. <laughs> it's all, all up here, uphill from here. Um, Let me say one thing. <laughs> yeah. I have been close to death several times. And I have not changed my feeling at right. all. I have never reached out and said, oh, I should start believing in God. I just don't. I just don't. And I've been at a point where I've been told by a doctor I have nine months to live. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to enjoy all the time I have. But I'm not changing my tune, hmm. period. Yeah. So do you, I mean, what do you think happens? Do you think it just lights go out and, and there's nothing? Yeah, well, there's so much about our mind that we don't understand. I think there's a lot that goes on in our mind that we're not privy to. Mm. And I think universally, our minds probably interact and connect. Yeah. So there's there's something that continues, but I don't think it's a... A life form or a life feeling. I think, you know, you simply become part of the universe, but uh, not conscious part. And I just think, right. you, you know, that's the last thing you know about. And the thing that bothers me the most uh, is that I will not be around to see the interesting inventions and innovations that are going to occur 100 years from now. I'd really like to see that. Almost to the point where if someone said, well, will you give up five years now for five years in uh, 2050? I'd say, yeah, I'd do that. I'd switch out the window of opportunity, come back and see what the progress is or lack of progress. Yeah. <laughs> or it's worse. Yeah, it could be worse. Yeah, I'm thinking it's going to be rubbing sticks together <laughs> is the latest. Still not in. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, but that's a, that's how I feel about death. It doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't upset me to know that I'm going to die. I don't believe there's an afterlife. There's no reward. There's no punishment. Hmm. St. Peter's going to be disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah. You get to those yeah. pearly gates. Yeah. Yeah. Here he comes, Mr. Oh, Skeptic. He's yeah. going to yeah. say, Dan, yeah. we need to talk. Yeah, yeah. I've been waiting to talk to you. <laughs> He's going to have that scroll and all those sins. <laughs> I don't know. What, I, do, I do not know, nor do I have any belief in what's going to happen. I just, I don't know, and no one else does either. Does it worry you at all? Did, no. Are you anxious? I'm not a worrying kind of person, which you probably have figured out by now. Yeah. No, was, I mean, what good worrying about it do? Yeah. So I did those, I did those first Fridays when I was a kid, so I have that pass. What's oh. First Friday? Well, if the you Catholic... did believe in that crap, would you think you're going to make heaven or or not? If I did believe in that crap? Yeah. <laughs> if I believed in the crap, I would say, I did those First Fridays, and that was, that was a guarantee. my way in. <laughs> that if you yeah. went to communion for seven consecutive First Fridays of the month, you went to communion... Are there you, seven first Fridays of the month? <laughs> yeah, that's a long month. <laughs> no, seven consecutive months. Fifty days after. Oh, okay. And that you would, at the moment of your death, you would repent and be be forgiven of all of your sins. Now, they used to teach us that. 
Wow. And I did it when I was a little kid, but they'll probably get me on some technicality yeah. or something. Sorry. <laughs> Rule change. Yeah. It was actually... We're updating the terms of service. <laughs> yes. It was actually Thursday, and yeah. we changed it to nine. Wrong time zone. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I don't know. I have no... Read the menu carefully. For I have no belief in what's going to happen if nothing's going to happen. I don't... I don't think there's a yeah. rainbow bridge where every dog is. That's right. So you're any of that stuff. You're agnostic. I don't. Yeah. Which means you don't care. I don't, well, I it don't, means you don't claim to know. You don't claim. You can to care. Know. I yeah. don't claim to know anything. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. And are you more of an, an atheist? I'm more you think? atheist where I firmly believe. Well, I'm probably there an atheist. There is no God. Yeah. Uh, based on what evidence? Based on lack of evidence. Yeah, but lack of evidence is not evidence of absence. <laughs> In other words, the, the, the fact that we don't see any evidence of a cougar around here doesn't mean there's no cougar around here. It just means there's no evidence that there's a cougar out here. It could mean there's no cougar around there. It could, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't mean, right? So if... In other words, evidence, if you see cougar scat, then that's evidence you know there is a cougar. But lack of cougar scat is not evidence that there isn't a cougar. So in science, as they say, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. That's the, the sort of thing. So, I don't know. The fact that, you, that God hasn't spoken to you doesn't mean there's not a God. It just means that God has <laughs> chosen not, not to waste his time with you. He's not interested in you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or she's not interested in you. Yeah, there you go. So do you, okay, do you think, I mean, sort of following up your question to Dorothy Ann, do you think that you, have you sinned? If there was a pearly, great, pearly gate, would you get through it? Because obviously you're not repenting. I wouldn't repenting. get through on the technicalities. <laughs> because I haven't repented for anything. Not feeling they were repentable. Right. I haven't repented. So under the technicalities of the Catholic rules, no, I wouldn't make I wouldn't make You wouldn't get through. Things. Yeah. And, and I don't think that I'm going to um, change before I die. Yeah, that's a safe bet. Yeah. So do you, you seemed like almost lack of repentance is almost like a modus operandi for you in a way. Like you seem to be very much like, I got nothing to be ashamed of. I'm not going to pretend I'm ashamed. Exactly. Yeah. Whether it's you know, the way I live my life romantically or sexually, whatever, like you're not... I haven't done anything I mean, you really were, bad. You were kind of openly non-monogamous before I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, monogamy, does, you know, um, no, I don't think I hurt anybody. I remember you and I having a talk, and this is way before I wrote Sex at Dawn, that you, when you got divorced, and you'd been married how long? 27 years. 27 years. And your daughter was through college, and you're like, okay, time. And, and I remember you had a near-death experience. Your buddy's plane blew up. I don't yeah, know if that I, tied I, into the divorce. But I remember there was this moment where you're like, fuck it, I'm going to live. I got to do my thing. I got to, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to hide. I'm just doing my thing. I'm moving yeah. to Florida, and I am what I am. And I remember yeah. at the time sort of being like, wow, okay, that's interesting. Like, 
no deception, no no shame, no hiding or or like soft selling shit. Yeah, like that's a that's an important moment in someone's life. I think. Do you think that would have happened if your buddy hadn't died? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that was like a catalyst, but I think it would have uh, occurred uh, at some point anyway. Right. Yeah. In a way, when, when people close to us die, I feel like one of the the like deepest honors that we can, uh, or I don't know how to, if I'm saying that the right way, but by like taking a step that we were hesitant to take. And then, you know, you see yeah. someone's life end unexpectedly and, you and you're like, Oh shit, what am I waiting for? Yeah. That's like a, a way of honoring them, you know? No, it's true. It is because it's on their memory that you're given the strength to uh, make a move like that. Yeah, it's almost like they sacrificed themselves for you to finally right. take that step you've been afraid to take. Right. You go down yesterday. <laughs> go, go to Florida. Yeah. Go to Florida. <laughs> there are eight women for every man in Naples. It was God speaking to you. <laughs> yeah. There, God has spoken to you. Go yeah. south, old man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other pearls of wisdom we should drop on these people? <laughs> no. Dorothy, no. what do you think? Are you a sinner? Would Would you get in? Oh yeah, I I I, I guilt is something I've never felt. <laughs> Maybe you're a psychopath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're either really good or really bad. <laughs> Who's Who can tell? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> when I was a little believer kid, like five or six, I remember thinking. Okay, if God created me, then he created me the way I am. Mm -hmm. And if I'm sinning, that's on him, not me. Right. And that was like a little revelation I had as a little kid. Yeah. I thought, well, he put that in me. So, you know, that propensity to sin, not me. I'm just doing what I'm destined to do. I'm just doing what I was programmed to do. Yeah. So, no. So. I think that's a good way to look at it. I I have a. No, I mean, I've been sorry for a few things. I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's been something. Yeah. I, mean, I stepped on Dan's foot yesterday, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, I figure, I don't know, I've always tried to do the best by people. Well, you guys both, I mean, I couldn't have picked better role models, I got to say. Well, thank you. Uh, that's, a, that's an honor. That's yeah. an honor. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying anything. <laughs> none of my fuck-ups are due to you. But, <laughs> but uh, no, seriously, I mean, you know, Dan, your, your example of, like, make your way in the world and don't bitch and complain when shit goes wrong and keep just keep rolling and having fun and don't apologize and be kind <laughs> you know i mean that's a that's been really instrumental for me and dorothy ann is like you know you're welcoming your home is always open you're you know you got the best pillows and blankets of anyone <laughs> i've ever met i mean seriously Pete, i mean how many strangers have come to your house and moved in over the years yeah. i can yes. think of half a dozen off the top of my head I mean that's a really good sign, you know, that people just yeah. feel comfortable in yeah. your in your space. That's a beautiful thing. 
Well, Maggie said doing Airbnb was perfect for me. Yeah. She said people come and they go before they get on my nerves. <laughs> Except the ones who don't. Except that dude's been living under your <laughs> stairs for the last three years. Except yeah. <laughs> the ones who stay for years. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> And and I feel like you gave me uh, you know a good a good template for good taste in music. I'm still listening to Neil Young and you know all yeah. the stuff that I was listening well, to. Well, I was at your always place. loved the music. Like you know, I hitchhiked to the the Newport Folk Festival when Bob Dylan first came out with. I mean, I I I always and I I think back and I think there was no internet. Right. Very little radio even. Like how did we even know about the music? Well, we went to we went to stores, record, record stores, stores, and we would yeah. go through. Yeah. And somebody has a new record out, and you'd buy yeah. it for three dollars oh, or whatever. I remember and it. Rush you read home every liner and note. read every liner note, and you oh my god, yeah. you know. And then drive drive to Philadelphia to see the Beatles, like this group. You, you saw know. the Beatles? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Drove to Philadelphia to oh, see them. Oh shit! Yeah. So that was the the Shea Stadium tour, the Ed Sullivan, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Have you seen this new documentary that's no, coming? Oh, no. it's amazing. But going to Newport was a huge deal. The, the Newport, the Newport uh, Folk Festival. Folk Festival, right. And Doc Watson and Sun House and all those old blues guys were there. And then, then they, they brought in the rock and roll aspect. And Bob Dylan did the, the crossover, which I loved, but mm. some of the real purists didn't like so much. But. Right. You were listening to like... Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, I remember yeah. hearing him at your. Oh, yeah. I, I love Buffy Gordon Saint Lightfoot. Marie and, yeah. yeah, Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it like seeing yeah. the Beatles live? Could you hear them, or was the screaming happening? We were pretty them? far back, and I remember driving there, and it was the first time we were like on the the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and there were just like kids heading to there, and people were holding up signs, and it was like everybody was going to the same place. Mm. I mean, it was really amazing. Um, was it a stadium? Oh God, I don't remember. It was yeah, it had to be. It was, and they were pretty far away. Huh. I remember there was, there was a place where people like a mosh pit they'd call it now, but where there was no seating or anything. Everybody right. was just there right. screaming, and then and then a big huge, like maybe twenty feet or fifty feet or something before the stage where nobody was, hmm. and then they were up on the Security, stage. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a big deal. Big deal. Yeah, that's crazy. And you've seen Prince, and I mean, you've invited me to go with you to hear Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I've seen Bruce many, 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 many times. The boss. <laughs> yeah. And Warren Zevon. I used Warren, to drag right. my kids to see Warren Zevon. Yeah. We went to the US Festival out in Devore. That was, I mean, a huge acts now. And they were all out there. Mm. Just Anyway, I used to do all that kind of stuff. So you've just, and it's not like you weren't some kind of a, a groupie or something. You just recognize good music. And I just like really music, like it. yeah. But you don't play any instrument or anything. No, no talent whatsoever. Is it lack of I talent or you just lessons. never did it? Well, I took piano lessons forever. Well, you're a listener. You're a listener. Yeah. Well, I yeah. used to play the piano, but then I didn't have a piano when the kids were little and... I just got away from playing it, but I—I I was not talented. Right. I was—I could be taught how to do it, but I've—I've I've always felt like I'm a musician who doesn't play. Oh really? Anything? Oh. Like just from the intensity of pleasure I get from listening. Yeah. Hmm. Like I watch all these videos online of, 
you know, studio musicians talking about how this guitar lick works and how they play this over that. And, and I'm fascinated by it. I have no idea what they're talking about yeah. half the time. But, but something about it's just like deeply comforting and interesting to me. I don't know. We went to see Bruce Springsteen and we sat, I mean, behind the stage. I mean, absolutely behind the stage, which was amazing because we could see what he saw. Right. And I, we were sitting there, I thought, and there was just this huge, this huge arena and all these people. And I thought... God, what must that feel like to have like all these people just cheering for you just for what you know you can do. You can sing in the songs that he writes. And then he would turn around and like say hi to us. <laughs> Were they like backstage passes or it's just No, the way they'd open up, up this section oh. and we were super close to the stage oh. but behind. Yeah. And but it was it was amazing. I was actually glad to be back there. Did you have that the... aspect? Do you see the Broadway thing that it was on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, the, this moment where he said, I think it was in that special where where he was like super depressed and, you know, he went through the divorce and wrote that great album, Tunnel of Love. Yeah. Like, uh, one my favorite album by him. But uh, And he said somebody said to him, like, you know, your your fans would never believe that you could have any complaints that you could be unhappy because they see that guy on stage and they just all want to be that guy yeah and he said yeah i want to be that guy too (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not well in his book he talked about how they they came out from new jersey he and his buddies just used to play in bars we're still recording yeah um they used to play in bars and then they scraped up money i mean really like like scraped up gas money to get to California and they did a few gigs but they went back just crushed like they failed they totally failed and we had to go back to New Jersey and I mean that's part of this thing about don't take no for an answer right that he went back and and just like you know he was going to be a musician his nobody in his family you know was you know yeah, and, but, and especially his father. Especially his like, father. Get a fucking job. Get a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you loser. Yeah, you yeah. loser. And the rest is history. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for doing this. This is overdue. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I sure did. I didn't mention why we were in Topanga. My, or maybe she mentioned it in the conversation, but my aunt's been living there since 1977, I think, somewhere in there which is why I ended up in Topanga. I've been going there since I was a kid. And, uh, yeah, she's one of the original old-school residents up in the canyon. If you ever get to L.A., make sure you go check out Topanga Canyon. It's pretty exceptional. All right, I thought it would be appropriate to play you out with something different this time. Uh, One of my favorite songs by Bruce Springsteen, since we were talking about him. This is a song I used when I was teaching English in Spain. I... I played this song all the time for my students because it's easy, simple vocabulary, easy to understand, easy to listen to, and it's a story that uh, pretty much all adults can relate to about the sadness um, of living the transition of a relationship. I don't want to say the end of a relationship because if we do these things properly and with love, they never end, um, but they do transition, and that can be excruciatingly difficult. Um, this is 
One Step Up. It's by Bruce Springsteen. It's uh, from his Tunnel of Love album, in which I believe he plays all the instruments he recorded himself in his garage in New Jersey somewhere, wherever he lives. Um, and the whole album is about the uh, the end of his marriage. Um, and he was married a long time, so it was uh, it was a painful experience for him. But man, it led to some incredible songs. And I really love this one. I love the the poetry of it, the simplicity, as I said, and the and the power of it. So this is one step up, Bruce Springsteen. Hope you enjoy it. Hope life's going well for you. And I will be back with you soon. Woke up this morning, the house was cold. Checked the furnace, she wasn't burning. Went out and hopped in my old Ford. Hit the engine, but she ain't turning. Giving each other some hard lessons lately We ain't learning We're the same sad story That's a fact One step up and two steps back Bird on Inside a church engine, but the church bells ain't ringing. Sitting here in this bar tonight, but all I'm thinking is I'm the same old story, same old fact. One step back, two steps back. Yeah. 